Good morning, church family. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look starting from verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. After the preaching of God's Word today, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. We're going to have communion once again. Uh, with COVID-19, we are taking precautions, but we also recognize that not everyone is ready to return to in-person services at this time. This makes us long and hunger and desire the day when the whole church can gather once again. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting from verse 17. This is the reading of God's holy and authoritative word. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the world, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for what you have done for us, that you have created a plan of salvation in eternity past, in concert with your Son and the Spirit, and secured it in these last days for us, and now moving towards perfect consummation one day. As we walk in this present age and wait for the return of your Son, the Lord Jesus, help us. Oh Lord, we need you. Help us to walk in faithfulness and in remembrance of all that your Son has done for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, what's the most memorable meal that you've ever eaten? Maybe it was the night that you got married. When Teresa and I got married over 12, almost 12 years ago, I remember that there was good food. I remember wanting to eat it, but I also remember not actually eating much of it. We were just so busy. Maybe it was on a vacation where you were getting to eat the food that the locals eat, an authentic taste of another culture. Maybe it was Japanese culture or Caribbean culture or French culture. 
Maybe the meal was really memorable because you were so hungry and you've never enjoyed a cheesesteak like that before. My mom likes to say that her favorite meal is the one that she didn't have to make, a meal where she can just sit back and enjoy because someone else prepared it for her. The Last Supper, the Passover meal, was the most important meal for Jesus and the most memorable for his disciples. And here's why. For the church, the Lord's Supper celebrates our union with Christ and our union with one another. For the church, the Lord's Supper celebrates our union with Christ and our union with one another. So there's very basic two parts to my sermon this morning. Celebrates our union with Christ and celebrates our union with one another. So here's the first part. For the church, the Lord's Supper celebrates our union with Christ. And for us to understand the significance of the Lord's Supper, we have to understand Old Testament history. Jesus doesn't come into the New Testament in a vacuum. We can't go into all the details, but in the Old Testament, Israel found itself in the land of Egypt. And instead of being a place of life, Egypt was a place of death and slavery. So God sent 10 plagues of judgment to force Pharaoh to let his people go. The last plague was the death of the firstborn. On that night, that plague of the firstborn, the angel of death would pass through Egypt. But God provided a way of salvation for his people through the most important, most memorable meal of their lives. This meal would be a matter of life and death. This meal would determine whether their family was protected or not, whether the angel would strike them or not, or whether they would live or not. In this meal, each Israelite family would kill a one-year-old lamb at twilight and take the blood and put it over the doorpost of their homes. And at midnight, the Lord would pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, including Pharaoh's family, those in prison, and even livestock. But while God was striking down every single firstborn, those covered by the lamb would be safe. The Lord would see the blood and pass over. Death would pass over. Judgment would pass over. You've had some good meals, memorable meals, but for Israel on that night, no other meal would compare to this meal of salvation, God preserving life in the land of death. And this is why Jesus chose Passover weekend for the weekend where he would die. Over and over, as Israel celebrated the Passover year after year, when the lamb was slaughtered, when the blood was put on the doors, it was to remind them, to remind that they were once enslaved, to remind them salvation was a supernatural act of God, and also to remind them that, that death was still an enemy to be conquered. Every Israelite family on that night of the Passover, they escaped the angel of death that night. Death was avoided but the angel of death would eventually come back for each one of them. So the Passover meal finally reminded them that there was a greater salvation to come, a greater salvation from death that would be coming. Jeremiah chapter 31 is essential for our understanding of the Lord's Supper. If you need help remembering it, it's a passage beginning in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. So it's 31:31. You can remember that, 31:31. So listen as I read from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Amen. Church, God promises people a new covenant, not like the old one, which is people broke, a new covenant promise where I will be their God and they shall be my people, a new covenant in which we will all know the Lord and he will forgive our iniquities and remember our sins no more. And so in the last supper, the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus beautifully brings together, weaves together both the Passover and the new covenant. The Passover, the redemption of God's people out of slavery, and the new covenant where God joins himself to us, to his people in such a way that even the best marriage on earth is a dim reflection of our union with Christ. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. So church, for the church, the Lord's Supper celebrates our union with Christ, that he is our God and we are his people. So with that background in mind, keeping in mind that Passover meal and the promise of the new covenant, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. Don't miss that. New covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus commanded his church, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say, do this only when we feel completely comfortable or safe. Jesus has commanded generations of his followers throughout the ages, not just to remember him, but to remember what he has done. Verse 26 says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus wants us to remember his death, which seems kind of odd if we take a step back and think about it. Usually when someone dies, we don't spend a lot of time remembering their death. Oh, they died from this accident or that disease. No, we celebrate their life. This man was a father, a grandfather. He was a hard worker, a faithful person. Jesus could have made the Lord's Supper a meal to remember his teaching, his miracles, his birth, his return. But no, we need to remember all those things. But Jesus chose to highlight one central reality of his life, his death, his 
death. Which begs the question, why? Why such an emphasis on his death? Why did Jesus have to die? The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, eternal death. That means when you or I, when we break God's law, when we fall short of loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves, when we trip up over God's perfect and holy law, that law demands absolute conformity. And that law needs to be satisfied. Justice needs to be satisfied. We are commanded to conform ourselves in thought, word, and deed to God's perfect and holy character. So one lustful thought, one idle word, one selfish deed ruins our relationship with God like a drop of arsenic in a cup of water. And every time you sin, it's like dropping another dose of arsenic into that water. And before long, you don't have a cup of water, you have a cup of deadly poison. And when God sees that cup of deadly poison, he has no choice but to throw it away. And that act of throwing it away is what God does in the final judgment. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 describes Jesus coming down from heaven in the final judgment, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and don't obey the gospel. And they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. But in love, but in love, God sent his only son to suffer and die in our place, in our place. So when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sin and received all the condemnation, all the death, all the hell that we deserved. He drained that cup of poison by drinking the cup of God's wrath for our sin. There's some here or online who have yet to receive that perfect sacrifice. And the good news is that Jesus Christ offers himself to you today. He offers you his perfect sacrifice to wipe away your sins today. So if you haven't yet done so, come to Jesus today. Surrender your life to him today. Take hold of his perfect sacrifice on the cross for your sins today. Surrender, to, surrender your life to him today. I want to take a moment to speak to children and youth who are with us, either presently, here, or online. And you need to know that just because your parents are children of God doesn't mean you're automatically children of God also. God has children, men and women, young and old, boys and girls, but God doesn't have grandchildren. What do I mean by that? That means each person must be adopted as a child of God, his son, his daughter. So if you're a child with us, we're so grateful for the children to be here with us. Children, youth, young people, you must respond to the gospel call yourselves. It's not enough that your parents have responded to the gospel call. You must give up living for yourself. You must give up your sin. You must follow Jesus the one who has offered himself to us for our sins. In church, every time we take the bread, we remember the death which gave us life. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. The scriptures record that Jesus was marred. His body was so marred and broken, you couldn't even recognize him. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was spit upon. And then he was crucified, nailed to that cross. In church, every time we drink the cup, we remember the blood that was poured out in the new covenant. Verse 25, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Not only was Jesus pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, like grapes crushed in a wine press. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, to crush him under his anger for your sins and my sins. In the new covenant, Jesus, the bridegroom, he binds himself to us, binds himself to his church in an unbreakable bond. He gave himself to us, and now church, we belong to Jesus. We belong to him. He is ours. We are his. And the new covenant secured and sealed this bond through his blood. It's an everlasting bond of love and loyalty. In marriage vows, the husband and wife pledge till death do we part. It's a commitment even to the point of death. But upon death, the, those, uh, the, the spouse is released from that covenant. But here's what's so amazing about the new covenant Through his own death in the new covenant, Jesus guarantees that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But how does this proclamation fit in with the proclamation in preaching? Romans 10, 17 reminds us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Preaching is primary because faith comes through hearing. So the sacrament, without faith, the sacrament becomes a superstitious ritual. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The sacrament doesn't proclaim a better gospel, but together, word and sacrament combine, they proclaim the gospel better. Let me say that again. The sacrament doesn't proclaim a better gospel, but together, word and sacrament together combine, they proclaim the gospel better. So through your ears, you hear the word of Christ, the word of life, and through the sacrament, you see, you taste You touch, you smell the gospel. With the word and sacrament together, we experience the gospel through all five of our senses. The theologian John Calvin has pointed out that communion is a visible sign pointing to invisible realities. It's a visible sign pointing to invisible realities. You can think of it this way. When we eat food, the food is absorbed into us, it nourishes us, it sustains us. There's a, there's a process that takes place. And in a far greater and more glorious way, when we <clears throat> feast on Christ by faith, we nourish our soul and sustain and nourish our spiritual life. 
in our union with Christ, we are one with Christ. We are absorbed into His life. The bread and the wine, just to clarify, they don't become the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup are signs that point beyond themselves. So don't get fixated on the sign. Get fixated on Christ. And here it's important to clarify once again, the physical body of Christ has ascended into heaven. We know that from the book of Acts. Even though Christ's physical body is in heaven, through our union with Christ, Jesus is with us. He is walking among us. He is offering himself to us. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 28, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So church, for, the, for us, for the church, the Lord's Supper celebrates our union with Christ. And now, more briefly here, the second part of my message, the Lord's Supper celebrates our union with one another. The Lord's Supper celebrates our union with one another. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to his body. You are his temple, his flock, his bride. Children, this is a question for the children here. What is the body of Christ? Who is the bride of Christ? What does that refer to? If any child knows that, just shout it out. What is the body? The church. I heard that. The church. The church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the flock, the temple. Jesus didn't come to just save individuals. He came to save his church, his bride, his body. Let's turn back one chapter to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. Uh, <clears throat> the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The first part of this passage is what we've already covered. The bread and the cup is a participation in the body and blood of Christ. It's our union with Christ. But the second part, verse 17, is what we want to focus on now. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. In the Lord's Supper, individuals, the many, many individuals are brought together in unity as the one body of Christ. You have to notice Scripture's undeniable logic. The one bread signifies and shows that we are one body. But even more than that, it brings us together as one body. In a powerful and mysterious way, in partaking the one bread, we are one body. Let me say that again. In a powerful and mysterious way, in partaking the one bread, we are one body. I thank God for live stream, for technology, but live stream can never substitute for church, the gathered church. That's why we, we don't do communion virtually. The Lord's Supper can only happen when the church gathers. Jesus offers the bread and cup in physical space and time where we are joined together by common elements, and it's done in a way that's impossible to do in a video feed. Think of it like a family meal together. It can only happen when you're together, seated together around the table. 
If your mom or your dad goes out of town and goes on a business trip and calls you up on Zoom or FaceTime or on the phone and you all eat together at that moment, it's not a family meal. I mean, the family connects, the family talks, and good stuff happens, but the family is not eating together. Look at how many times Paul uses the phrase, come together as a church. Return to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church. And then verse 20, when you come together. The Lord's Supper happens when the church comes together. That's why we don't do communion virtually or individually. Virtual communion, private communion, is a contradiction in terms. It is for the church, for the body. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper we remember that the Lord's Supper celebrates our unity as a church. We are one body in Christ. Because we belong to Christ, by definition, we belong to one another. We belong to one another. That means despite all the differences, we may bring differences in ethnicity, in economic status, in education, we are one body. There is one body And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And because there is one body, Jesus has secured our unity. We have the responsibility to maintain that unity in the spirit, in the bond of peace. We have a responsibility to maintain the unity that Jesus has secured for us. The Lord's Supper is for the gathered church. But here's the question, how should we as a gathered church partake? God warns us not to take communion in an unworthy manner. Let's look at chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. We believe Scripture teaches teaches us that we have to meet two conditions before we partake. Number one, communion is for baptized disciples. Now, what do I mean by that? If communion is for the church, that means you have to be brought into the church. If it's for the bride, then it's not for others. It's not for outsiders. And baptism is the universal sacrament of entry into the church. And we, re- we require baptism because it honors the New Testament pattern of faith in Christ, baptism, and participation in the local church. You don't have to be baptized at Risen Hope. It could be any faithful gospel-preaching church. But we do encourage any professing follower of Christ who hasn't hasn't yet been baptized to get baptized as soon as possible. With our new facility, we will begin having baptisms during our service in our sanctuary. Praise God for that. With tentative dates in late April and late May, and God willing, many, many more to come. And so please talk to one of the pastors if you'd like to be baptized, for it would be our joy for Risen Hope to baptize you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And because communion is for disciples, anyone under church discipline and barred from the Lord's table is also asked to refrain. 
anyone under church discipline is choosing to love sin more than love Christ and is no longer treated as a, as a disciple. And anyone removed from the church in this way should also not partake of the Lord's Supper. So number one, communion is for baptized disciples. And number two, we need to examine ourselves. We don't want to partake in an unworthy manner and bring God's judgment. If you've offended a brother or you're offended at a brother, you have a responsibility to make it right quickly. If you've sinned, you need to repent. You need to confess your sin, give up your sin, turning away from it. That means seeking forgiveness from God and forgiveness from others. In Corinth, we see that there was sin and disunity in the body, and Paul had to strongly rebuke and correct the church because they weren't partaking the Lord's Supper in the right way. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 and 18, go up a couple verses. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. So we need to examine ourselves. Have you said or done something, either in person or online, that's caused offense? Or has someone offended you and a seed of bitterness has been planted? In either category, category, whether you've offended someone or someone has offended you, you have the responsibility and joy of making it right. Because bitterness, disunity, anger, gossip, pride, they destroy the unity that we have in Christ. So the Lord commands each of us to examine himself and then eat the bread and drink the cup. So we draw things to a close. For For the church, the Lord's Supper celebrates our union with Christ and celebrates our union with one another. Unity in Christ, our union in Christ, must always lead to unity with one another. We are one in Christ, so by his spirit, let us be one with one another. Tim wrote a recent blog post with helpful questions for self-examination before taking communion. Let me close with just a a few of these for us to consider as we transition to taking communion together. Have I forgiven everyone who's asked me for forgiveness? Have I confessed my offenses against others and pleaded their forgiveness? Have I sought reconciliation with those who have hurt me and pursued peace with everyone else? Am I bitter at anyone? Am I prejudiced towards people of another color, culture, political persuasion, or you fill in the blank? And finally, can I sincerely embrace with love and unity all who will join me in communion today? So church, by God's grace, let's examine ourselves and hold fast to the body and blood of Christ as our only hope. Amen. Amen.